Welcome to another episode of Not Too Deep. I'm your host, Grace Helbig. Very exciting day today. We're talking to Shan Boudram, who is a wonderful human. I mean, that's that on that. She's a sexologist. She's a YouTuber. She's someone that is so sex positive and informed and cool and interesting and taught me things about my body and myself that I didn't know and that you should know. So this was a really wonderful conversation. Enjoy this episode of Not Too Deep. I am so excited to tell you about a podcast that you need to have in your regular rotation. Whether you've only binged The Office or you've watched every episode 20 times or you're going to lose your goddamn mind. And if you are an Office fan, you already know that this exists. But if you're not, guess what? There's a new podcast called Office Ladies. That's right. Jenna Fisher and Angela Kinsley, who, you know, play Pam and Angela on The Office, uh, are office ladies and best friends in real life. And they're recapping on their podcast every single episode of the show. And then they're also sharing behind-the-scenes stories that no one has heard before. This is bonkers to me. And they're two incredibly lovely women uh, that I, you know, idolized on The Office. I auditioned many times for many roles on The Office, neither one that they portrayed, but, you know, never got there, but, you know, fully respect it. So this is nothing but wonderful. Uh, Get into it immediately. Office Ladies is out now. Listen and subscribe on your podcast app. Again, Office Ladies out now on your podcast app. Get it. Shan, thank you for being here. That's it? Yeah, we're, we're starting. Just go- okay. We're going into She said it. it was casual. It wasn't a lie, guys. It's very <laughs> conversational. I mean, I can try and do a pro intro, but it will be terrible. Um, no, I'm so excited that you're here. I have many questions, but you also, um, I want you to feel like you're in a safe space where you answer so many questions constantly all the time that if you want to pass on any of these and take a breather, you can. (laughs) Okay, that's what these questions are. Actually, because you tweeted it, there were some people who tweeted and I saw the responses. Yeah. And I was learning. I didn't know what shrimping was. Okay, well, that's what I was going to ask you because I there's a lot that you talk about that I don't know and I love being educated because I feel like things are constantly updating and changing. There's a lot of people talk about that I don't know. I think that's the thing with sexuality. We look at it like a two-week course in Mm -hmm. school and then you're done. It is a lifelong challenge to get to know all the options to express yourself sexually. And I'm sure because you're an expert in this world that so many people come up to you with the assumptions that you know so many different things and so much terminology that you probably have Yeah, but I don't mind being like, tell me. I think actually I was on a podcast recently that gave me the word chode. Yeah. Did you know what a chode is? It's like, um, um, isn't it like a small wide dick? Yes. Yeah. It's a penis that's more wide than long. Yeah. And it's, um, growing up, I remember it was a term of like not endearment to people. Yes. It was a put down that people would use. And because it's just a funny sounding word, regardless of what it actually is, <laughs> <laughs> the definition of, it sounds like onomatopoeia sometimes in my brain. 
no, this is very exciting. You're coming off of, or might be still in the midst of your book tour. Yes. How has that been? Oh, it's been fantastic. I think what we do so often, um, because I'm a sexologist, mm-hmm. but I'm not a sexologist in the way that I work in a clinic or I work a lot of one-to-one. Yeah. I do a counseling service on Sundays, but it's like Skype only. And it's like an ancillary part of my business. Majority okay. of my business is spreading information to the masses. Mm-hmm. And so that just usually means you, five people in the room, and that's it. So when you're actually like meeting human beings where this has impacted a part of their lives that I think is massively overlooked and mm-hmm. they're saying things to you like, girl, I had my fourth, you know, my first four-time orgasm yesterday because <laughs> of you or I'm in this great relationship. Like those are the moments you're like, wow, like we are yeah. really doing the work here. So it made me very proud. Well, it must be interesting because I'm sure you've faced a lot of um, like negativity when you explain what your profession is and like the world that you've consistently educated yourself on and probably felt like you had to like prove yourself in so many ways and that this profession is important and is making a difference. Um is, Much like yourself, I'm sure. Well, I mean, you're one of the, the whole first. world of like YouTube and just mm-hmm. like digital as a means to like communicate with people can be looked upon as like less than in terms of entertainment, if that's the quality that you're trying to get people to understand you on. But I, you must like, how do you face that sort of like backlash or negativity? I'm sure you can pr- pick up on it pretty quickly when you're talking to someone of like, they don't think what I do is valid. Yeah, I think uh, I've been in this space for 13 years. So mm-hmm. in the beginning, my mom's first initial thought when I told her what I was doing was, don't you realize there's going to be boys in rooms just laughing and masturbating? And I, now looking back, I'm like, what, <laughs> what kind of visuals were you watching <laughs> that that came to mind for you? But yeah, I think that in the initial stages of my career, there was so much fear, so much constant pushback. I went to school for journalism as my base. Okay. My professors told me to change my focus, like with a lot of discouragement. But I think as time has gone on, it's gotten a little bit better. Mm-hmm. And I've learned that you have to be the change you wish to see in the world mm-hmm. and that you are actually responsible for a lot of how people feel about what you do. So I was actually going to speak at University of Delaware two years ago. And this is when I was really like in my shit. Like I talk about sex and relationships. Yeah. I'm not making any more apologies no matter where I go. Because sometimes I used to have Uber answers. You know, where you're like, I don't want to get into it. Here's my Uber answer. Like, Mm -hmm. I'm I'm an educator. Yeah. That's it. You know? And I'm like, no, I'm actually trying to pave the way for people behind me. And I have to normalize the career. So I'm saying it when everyone asks. Mm -hmm. So this lady picked me up from the airport. She's like a a driver for this school. And she's like 90 years old or something. Yeah, Um, She's probably 60. But, you know, it's hard to tell. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that time with children, they're either a newborn or they're 13. I don't know any (laughs) in between for those two things. (laughs) I'm sure she wasn't 90 because I don't know if 90 year olds drive. But anyhow, she's like, oh, so you're coming to Delaware to speak. Like, what's Uh your topic? And uh, I was like, oh. I'm going to speak about sex and silent in the car. And then she's like, so do you mean like why not to have sex? How to use condoms, like AIDS, the risk of AIDS. And then I was like, nah, it's really more about how to have a bomb ass sex life and one that you're really (laughs) proud of and have great orgasms and also be safe. But it's not the focal point of my talk dead silent in the car and I could feel the judgment and I wanted to add in the oh but we'll also be talking about testing I wanted to I'm like sit in it sit in your space and then two minutes later she said you know what my first husband couldn't find my clit if it was on his nose And then the rest of the car ride, she just went in. So it was great. That was my lesson. Amazing. But what a great boundary to like play chicken with for a second. Like that's so great. And I think, I mean, it must be so rewarding the feedback that you get because you're normalizing things that people have associated with shame and like embarrassment so often. 
um, has this book tour because the book is half these like real stories of women that have followed your guidance and have discovered, you know, many different um, mile markers for themselves, it sounds like, and like half self-help. Have you found that the response from people, because it's like actual testimonials and self-help have been like that much more impactful? Yeah. I mean, I refer to myself as like a Mary Poppins of some sort. Like I want to put <laughs> your medicine in sugar. Yeah. And that was actually when I was 19 years old, I started in this space. And my acknowledgement was there's great information in the books, the educational books, mm-hmm. but porn is real interesting. <laughs> and I mean, like they use real interesting char- characters, really salacious yeah. uh, storylines, good looking people. And so that's more appetizing to consume. So I was like, there needs to be somebody who bridges the gap mm-hmm. and makes sex education sexy, makes learning about love fun and interesting and yeah. just as compelling as Gossip Girl, mm-hmm. uh, which, you know, contributed Gossip Girl and the book, The Coldest Winter Ever, which you might know, Melissa, do you? Yeah, oh. The Coldest Winter Ever is like books that like really made a big difference on me. And they were mm-hmm. lies. Like it was peddling. In The Coldest Winter Ever, she had sex for the first time and the penis just ever so slightly entered her and she orgasmed. Oh my God. And oh I was like, God. that's sex. <laughs> Writing notes, expectations now set. Uh-huh. And when I obviously didn't have that experience, I turned to books and I was like, there's great information, but it's boring. And so right. even with The Game of Desire, it's my way of saying, hey, there's a way to be good at connecting with people. Mm-hmm. I don't think I'm actually naturally a people person. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm somebody who used to make life a lot harder for myself based on my personality, but I learned about seduction. Mm-hmm. I learned about flirting. I learned how to connect. And not only did my romantic relationships improve and I'm married now in Ting mm-hmm. to the nicest person in the world. Um, <laughs> yeah, but you I, guys are I, adorable. He's a, he's a bomb. He's You're a, sweet. not a shit human. Um, <laughs> That's a great quality. <laughs> but my life overall has just improved. Yeah. So for me, I'm like, I want people to learn what I've learned the past 13 years from reading all these great psychological books. Mm-hmm. But how do I make it more compelling. Yeah. And how did you, were there any influences or major ones that you uh, discovered that made it more palatable, made it more digestible, made it more like, oh, it can be fun? Okay. I think Esther Perel is kind of like the new age version of somebody who's making the information. I don't know how she's even doing it Mm -hmm. because I have to weave in. Really? Oh my gosh. You will go and you will die. Esther Perel. Okay. Um, yes, she actually is sort of like the new version of Dr. Ruth. She's an older lady. Okay. Um, and she talks about relationships. She's extremely smart and wise, and she's able to really capture a younger audience and make people really think about love and relationships. I think Matthew Hussey's also incredible. I love Matthew Hussey's work. There's a lot of people, I think, in this space who are emerging in this way. Um, I just occupy a different space as a woman of color, but I think that there's tons of great people who are finding ways to get the average person thinking, hmm, beyond my horoscope. Yeah. <laughs> How can I get better at understanding myself and applying that knowledge for mm-hmm. better relationships? Yeah. Okay. So, because you're a sexologist and uh, and but you do a lot of like uh, psychological work with people because you had this show, Makeup or Breakup. Yes. Is it still on now? No, girl. Is it's, it, that's a ship that sailed. I miss it every day. But yeah. the concept is great. So yes. you're basically counseling, having conversations with people that are on the verge of technically breaking up. Mm-hmm. How, what were some of the craziest scenarios that you had to, or the most difficult or challenging scenarios in that situation? Because it's like a live conversation that you're having with them. Yes. What I loved about that show the most was that it empowered the audience to also weigh in. Mm -hmm. I think that I want to get to like, my ultimate career goal is to get to a space where I empower people to feel like their own 
relationship expert. Because mm. to your point, it's kind of this weird area. Whenever people hear what I do, they're like, that's so niche. I'm like, I didn't say I was studying hardwood floors, like <laughs> something that like three people in the world should know. Yeah. Everybody should be studying this area. And so I think gone are the days of the experts who sit atop the mountain and dole out information bit by bit, column by column. Yeah. You have this podcast. You are an expert to me. You are in communion with your people. People trust you. You read, you research, you listen, like you show up. You are an expert in this area. And I want everyone to feel like, no, I have a say. I have experience that's relative. I read, I know my shit, so I can apply it to help others. Mm -hmm. And Make Up or Break Up was actually based on that. Empowering every single person to feel like, no, like you can listen and weigh in. And it's called wisdom of the crowd, Uh where if we were to guess, um, I, this is the weirdest prop right here. Oh, sorry. Yeah, we have a, we have a tiny toddler-looking baby doll that sits on the desk. It's like dirty a little bit. Oh, it's very dirty. It's very dirty, yeah. and it's wearing a bee suit. But if this was a jar of jelly beans, mm-hmm. and we were to try to guess how many, the if we pooled like 200 people, the average number would be probably the closest number. Wow. So that's like to say that, you know, we be together, and mm-hmm. AI actually operates on wisdom of the crowd as well. Anyhow, but that show, the most interesting one I remember is this dude was addicted to Mountain Dew. Um, and the, what, the beverage. The beverage. Okay. Yes. I when, didn't know if that was like a sexual innuendo. No. Mountain Dew. <laughs> I mean, shrimping, Mountain Dewing. Yeah. I, I'm learning, guys. Please let me know. Yeah, he was addicted to, addicted to Mountain Dew. And when they first got together, he mm-hmm. was, it sounded casual, uh-huh. but then it was like, no, like this guy was hiding Mountain Dew's places. Wow. And they were, yeah. So that was fascinating because we just think about addiction in a very linear way. But yeah. That was interesting. Did they stay together? Is that a spoiler? I think they got a breakup <laughs> vote. Oh, yes. okay. Yeah. Okay. I mean, yeah, that's a tough one. Mm-hmm. Like, they can't walk into a 7-Eleven together. No. That's a difficult situation. <laughs> um, so how did... Okay, speaking before about your your husband, and I'm sure you get this asked all the time, the dating world being someone that is basically giving advice about dating and sex. How did you guys meet each other? Oh, we met through a mutual friend. Okay. So the number one way to meet people is still meeting through a mutual friend. Is that true? Number two is online dating. Wow. That might actually change because Match.com recently put out a new survey. So maybe it's superseded that by now. But but then you have places, what is it, Hinge that says like you have these people in common? Yeah. So it's basically like me- meeting through your friends, but on an app. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> have you tried Hinge before? I have not. No. I've only tried. You can't do that stuff. I only you did, never could. I did one date. I did the Raya situation <gasps> oh. for a second. Yeah. I met a person that I did date for a long time and then broke up with on Raya, but we had known of each other in real life previous to both using that app. And then it just became a second job. It became, it was very exciting and like gamified in a way at first. And then it just became overwhelming. And as someone that doesn't like, like have, feels like I have pretty perceptive um, tendencies and like will make an immediate kind of decision of like whether I'm into someone or not. I just didn't want to keep leaving my house and wasting my time. Yes. <laughs> Which is hard. Yeah. But so you guys met through a, a mutual friend. Yes. So you didn't know about each other at all. No, he was literally a person I saw at a party. And I remember having the thought like he'd be a great revenge fuck. <laughs> I was in like a long distance. Romance is not dead. <laughs> oh my God. But it took a year after that for us to actually meet up. And really? true to that, we were, so I was in a long distance. I'm from Canada originally. Yeah. So I'd moved to California and it was my first year there. And I saw this guy at the party. And he was just so cute. Yeah. And I'm like, I want him to dance with me. I want him to, and he never, he doesn't even remember seeing me that night really? or meeting me. And it was like a moment <laughs> in time for me. So it was kind of half because I went and followed him on Instagram afterwards because mm-hmm. we met through that mutual friend and I scrolled through that guy's profile until I found a picture and I was like, got him. Yeah. And then it took a year after that after that for us to actually meet up. Wow. 
So it's almost like you manifested it in a way. Forced, stalked, yeah. manifested. That's the nice way That's of putting it. That's a positive it. way yeah. of putting it. That's like the mentally healthier the way. The mentally healthy way, yes. <laughs> but I then, just let the universe do what it did and liked his photos periodically and DM'd him <laughs> once every three months and sent a long birthday message. You know, just the universe doing its thing. My natural, yeah. I wasn't, I, I didn't put more time or energy into it than he was, of course. Yeah. Not. Did, was it intimidating for him uh, to be getting involved with someone that this is their 24-7 profession? I would love to volley this question back to you because mm-hmm. I get asked all the time. Yeah. And I'm like, I would never be attracted to somebody who was intimidated by my line of work. Right. It would show up right away in our conversations. I often say this, that people are like, I bet dudes are like, oh, so yeah. excited to like, I'm like the opposite. I feel like dudes try to compete with me. Mm. And as almost as if they think by me saying I study sex, that what I'm really saying is Challenge I could have sex me. with your partner better than you. You know, oh, that I'm a better lover than you. So I find that men don't ask me questions. They try to qualify their expertise, whereas in women are very comfortable asking questions. I think that will change with time. But um, ultimately, yeah, he was not intimidated at all. He was he loved it. And he comes right. from a very Christian family. Oh, interesting. Yes, that was definitely the devil that like ruined him for a while. <laughs> It was like there was rumors going around about us because we had an open relationship as well, too. Okay. And so the church had a field day with that. Oh, um, wow. Yeah. But it worked out fine. Yeah, he stuck it out. <laughs> but that is, I think you, the quality you want in someone when you are a very career-driven person in a lot of ways is you want someone that's impressed and supporting of your career rather than intimidated yes. by it. Yes. Don't ignore it either. I think yeah. that's the thing. Like, don't act like it's not interesting or not something unique or different. You Mm -hmm. have to give it the space. Have you ever dated somebody that you felt was intimidated or tried to compete? Yeah, I've dated people that for sure have seemingly been supportive, but have kind of behind the scenes been competitive or very like um, um, agitated about like their kind of um, comparison of like where we're at in our careers both at the same time rather than being just like purely supportive Mm -hmm. and so it's yeah it was very difficult and you don't want to when you really are into that person you don't want to acknowledge that that's how they're feeling and that they're making you feel bad and they don't really know it so you just keep going like they'll be happy again and you can also not prove that yeah so you cannot call someone out for that behavior because they're going to be like that's not true that's you're assuming my feelings and it's like "Mm, I am but I think I'm pretty right (laughs) but I'll let you have this um How has your career or your relationship with your career changed since being married Has or at all? Yeah, I I often refer to marriage as a thing because I'm not religious Mm -hmm. and I don't come from a family that it was pressured for me to get married. I didn't want to have, I've been married for, you know, almost a year now. We haven't had kids or embarked on, I still have an IUD in. So I wasn't getting (laughs) married to have kids. Like the only real reason we were getting married, we still, we live together, Mm -hmm. um, was to, for other people to understand our connection. Oh, interesting. So it was mostly about like, just like you go, I think to school so other people understand what your passion is. Mm -hmm. You can create a title that like, oh, I get what you are. Yeah. I think that we viewed marriage the same way. Like we had an incredible connection. He's my partner. We had a production company together. Like mm-hmm. I love my life with him and it was getting other people to quickly understand what that meant. Right. right so right. marriage, I don't, I, I don't think that marriage made our, I, I get that question a lot. Like yeah. how has marriage changed things for you? And I feel dis- like I'm disappointing someone when I'm like, it's the same shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We basically did it so like everyone looking from the outside in knew that we were legit in love with each other. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And for the tax benefits, you know, all yeah. those wonderful, <laughs> wonderful romantic things. Yeah. But yes, that's my person. That's my best friend. And like, I never get sick of him. And yeah. I 
there, I'm glad that marriage didn't change things because yeah. I said yes to what we're doing. I'm like, I could do this forever. Mm -hmm. That's when I said yes. If he would have leveled up and all of a sudden started, I don't know, shooting rainbows at his ass, like some extra <laughs> yeah. thing that happened after marriage, I'd be cool, but it wasn't required. Yeah. No, that's a very grounded way to look at that because, yeah, you don't necessarily want things to change after you get married for better or worse because how can you trust that that's the reality now? Yeah. Um, and when I meet people sometimes who are like, marriage changed everything, you're like, that's fascinating. Tell me more. Like, we're just closer. We know each other more. We have each other's back. And then you're like, that's great. And you keep asking. And I'm like, yeah, because we just moved in together. I'm like, okay, that's why you're closer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> literally there now. Yeah. And it looks like you have to have each other's yeah. back. But that wasn't a choice for you guys. But still, good job. Um, are the vibrator necklaces still available? Yes. Did I not give you one? No. Oh my gosh. I'm I mean, a hater. When I, no, 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 you're not. You're an incredible creative genius because when I read that these existed, I was like, huh? What? How? I'm disappointed that you guys should have been sent a package with like the book because the book came with like a starter kit, like a desire oh, starter kit. So I 100% will get you one. And oh, no worries. No, but this is like a very ingenious product to me. How did this come about for you? I want to say full frontal. I have the exact same. I had the exact same reaction as you when I found out about it. Yeah. That to be said, it already existed. Okay. It was just, oh my God, she's so unprofessional. Oh no, it's great. She's booked and busy. Oh yeah, no, I get calls that literally say fraud risk. Oh, mine say scam now. likely. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Um, but yeah, the vibrator necklace is by a company named Crave. The okay. designer's a woman named T. She used to design furniture okay. and she wanted to bring that sort of clean, chic ingenuity mm -hmm. to uh, sex toys. And mm -hmm. so it, I saw it at an expo and I met her and I was like, I love this product. Like I, this to me represents what I think about when I think about my sexuality. Mm -hmm. It's chic, it's discreet, yeah. it's fun, it's mysterious. It's and it, elegant. It's out in public. Yeah, yeah. She out you, you know, if I want to reveal that to you. Right. Because people are, often look at it and they'll be like oh is that like a railroad nail or is that a vial like what is yeah, that it looks like a very artistic piece of jewelry yes you would never know had you not explained it or had it not just said it on the website when I clicked on it I think that sex toys often um there was this in school we researched how our attitudes towards sex were reflected in porn. Mm. And so in America, we have this very bizarre relationship with our sexuality where in one hand, it's exaggerated in media, yeah. but it's super repressed in our education system. And of course, if you grew up in the Bible Belt area, extremely repressed by your family community, et cetera. And so this weird dichotomy puts us in a place where we're not really comfortable as ourselves as sexual beings. Yeah. And so our porn looks larger than life. Mm -hmm. The world's greatest, biggest dicks, <laughs> the world's most massive boobs. Like yeah. it's, you don't see yourself when you're watching porn. Right, Whereas right. in countries like Sweden or Thailand where uh, sexuality is more of a normal part of life and mm -hmm. celebrated part of life, the porn looks like everyday people. Oh, interesting. Dang. I think our sex toys, the point I was making, when you go to our sex toy store, it's just like really embarrassing. They're just silly looking. They look yeah. goofy. And so you're like, why would I? That This looks embarrassing. And like, who chose these colors? Like, why does it have to be this like most ridiculous, <laughs> unnatural purple? having sex under a black light and need yeah. these to glow in the dark? <laughs> like, what is going on? Although if you are, that's kind of cool. I mean, good for you. I'm sure there are people that that's their thing. But like, I don't need to look like an alien is fucking me all the time. <laughs> Uh, no, that's why I respect it so much because it is beautiful. It's like it, it's functional and pretty like at the same time. So it's like dual purpose. I think it's really cool. And I hope that they continue to go in that realm where it's like 
fashion and function at the same time. Yes, they have one that's like a USB. I think it has like, you know, a couple gigs of storage on it. That's also a vibrator. So while you're in your computer to do the USB business, it's also charging. That's incredible. What? Okay. The future is now. This is uh, (laughs) amazing. Okay. We're gonna take a quick break. When we get back, I have some more questions for you, Um, especially apology languages, which I've never heard about before until I watched your videos. Do you know yours? I know. I haven't even had a second Can to look at it. Can you do it over the break? That would take a long time, though. I will do it for sure, but I want to hear a little bit more about what they are because I, I'm big into love languages, so apology languages make sense that it exists, but I'm so curious. Okay, we'll be right back with more Not Too Deep. Today, we have support from Lightbox. If you like diamonds, if you like bling, if you like walking into the room and having the reflection of your aura shine on everyone, then this might be the thing for you. Lightbox makes gorgeous lab-grown diamonds, which are essentially chemically the same as natural ones, except they're made in a lab. To make them, they put a tiny piece of lab-grown diamond into a plasma reactor and heat it up to temperatures almost as hot as the sun. Science. I I don't fully understand it, but it's science. And then in about two weeks, the seed turns into a full carrot stone. Every stone is made the same every time. So they're also priced the same every time at $800 per carat. They've even cracked the science of color, creating gorgeous gems in pink and blue. So treat yourself to a little sparkle. You earned it. Uh, go to lightboxjewelry.com slash grace and use code grace for $25 off. Again, that's lightboxjewelry.com slash grace and use code grace for $25 off. Okay, we're back in. Looking at five lang- lo- uh, love languages and apology languages right now. Oh, I don't want to get started right now. Okay, but you just explained what the What's five your love are. language? My love language, I feel like, and tell me if this is wrong too, because I feel like it shifts occasionally. Like you don't have just like one love language for the rest of your life. I feel like I've noticed for myself that I've taken the quiz in different relationships and it often reflects what I'm not getting in that specific relationship. Um, and so it's gone in different routes, but for primarily it's, um, words of encouragement and acts of service. Mm. Yeah. Like if someone takes my garbage out, I'm just like, they truly care about me. Like they see me that I need like that done. And I'm like, dad who was like that. Yeah. No, it's very reflective in that too, that like my dad takes care of all the tasks that my like flighty creative (laughs) brain doesn't know. I just got my oil changed for the first time ever, like two months ago as an adult. So there's been a lot of things that I've never had to like figure out and how to deal with. Um, But yeah, but words of encouragement too is a big one. Which is fascinating because I think as somebody who gets so much praise on the internet, people would assume that you're all like full at the end. Well, yeah, I guess so. But, and that's always, I've always had a very difficult time like accepting that sort of praise and like trying because the idea of like humility is always such a quality you that I value. You are the Oprah of the internet. Well, yeah, I just value that. And I think the people that are really good at what they do don't like fixate on that. Instead, they just like concern themselves with like maintaining the quality of what they're doing. And so it's always hard to be like, oh, thank you. Thank you. But like when there's the person that I value them so much, like treat people how you want to be treated, like that person that is my number one for them to tell me something 
that has like significant uh, emotional value is like very important. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And important to know. I think I learned that it's important to know that about people you work with. I was working on Makeup or Breakup and the showrunner there. She's such a badass to do like black is black, white is white. Go do this. Go do that person. And you would assume that her love language would be acts of service because she just was a get it done kind of person. Mm -hmm. But she was words of affirmation. Like she needed to hear from people because she rarely did. Yeah. Like you're doing a great job. Like, thank you for your leadership. Mm-hmm. You're awesome. You're on fire. And so- That's and it's, so interesting. Yeah, it's interesting to like figure that out, not just about people you love, people you care about. Uh, to answer your question about can they switch? Absolutely. Yeah. I don't mind a switcher. My pet peeve are people who are like, I'm all five. And like, bitch, <laughs> everyone likes gifts. Like nobody out here is like, well, I don't want a hug. Like everyone likes them in moderation. Right. But- the purpose of love languages and apology languages is clarity because yes. we hear in relationships that communication is key, but we don't get instruction on what exactly do you say. Mm-hmm. And so, for example, if I'm tr- if I asked you how do I get here, and you're like you could take the 110 or the 115 or the 95, it kind of depends what you feel like. If you want to go to Chipotle, I'm lost. Yeah, I don't know, and I actually have to go somewhere else to look it up, and yeah. I may end up getting it wrong or getting here late. Uh-huh. So it's you're trying to give somebody here's A to B. Yeah, you know, if you see me in a low point and you want to pick my mood up. Here's your best bet to doing it. Mm -hmm. And so if I ask you, what do you want to eat for dinner? And you're like, I don't really know. That's a lot less helpful than Chinese. Yeah. Um, So it's creating clarity so that number one, your partner understands you. And two, they feel competent in doing for you without having to be asked Mm -hmm. because they know where to go. They know how to drive to that route successfully. Yeah. And once they know that route back and forth, start adding in some extra stops. (laughs) That's when you can start creating it, but you need that initial clearness. And I think like apology languages, for example- knowing my partner's apology language has blown my mind. But that's why learning that this exists, I'm like so eager to now go back and find out mine, find out my boyfriends, find out my closest friends, because I feel like there's so much... Uh, clarity and hindsight looking back and going, oh, that's why that resolution didn't actually feel so strong because that person was accepting an apology, but not in the way that they wanted it. Or it took hours longer than it probably should have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's so fascinating because that's a, I remember when I first learned about love languages, I was at the end of a very tumultuous relationship that was like trying to hang on and just like wasn't working. It's like square pegs and round holes. It was just like infuriating and then cyclical infuriating. And, um, in a way to like add closure to the relationship, we both took the love languages quiz and like eyes wide open was like, oh my God, this has been your love language this whole time. I have not been doing a single thing that would have helped you feel loved and vice versa. And it was like, oh yeah, okay. Maybe we aren't compatible. And this is actually really helpful to go. It wasn't any of us maliciously trying to hurt each other. It was just a misunderstanding of like needs and expectations. And so it was actually very helpful, especially just getting out of a relationship, just putting that out there for anyone. But you can always learn to adopt a love language, I think. Oh, totally. We had just gone so far past the finish line already (laughs) that it was like, oh, okay, this is nice. I hope you like look for someone now that can give you this. Now that you know this. Yeah, like this is clarity for you and I'm going to be very happy for you moving forward because I think you have some more understanding of yourself now. Um, Okay, what do you do to relax? Oh, you know what? I'm going to say the cliche thing and um, it's definitely orgasm. Uh, It's really (laughs) a really big part of my wellness for my life. I love running. I love listening to audiobooks. Um, I just love spending time with my my partner. I think that 
actually, we spend an inordinate amount of time together. I was going to ask, you guys it, get to spend time together. Oh, a lot. And so the other day I was like, do you think it's weird that we spend most time together? He's like, yes. And I was like, I love it. I love every <laughs> second of it. Yeah, you can think it's weird, but don't take it away yeah. from me. Please, please. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I think also too, um, yeah, learning is relaxing for mm-hmm. me. I love, if I feel stressed out, actually having a to-do list also really helps. Oh, yeah, yeah. Just knocking things off um, just to feel like I'm in control. So I also have this activity I do once every four months where I do a list of things I love about myself, things that I'm not so happy or that bother me daily, mm. and things I'm neutral about. And then I try oh, to look at that list of things that bother me, and I try to find a plan of action to move that up or down. Because there's cool. some things that like bother me. I'm like, you know, girl, that's just going to be who you are. I yeah. was late today. I'm going to be late tomorrow. Like that's just until I also enjoy it though. Because when someone's late for me, mm-hmm. I'm like not stressed out about it. Oh no, that's how I feel. I'm late to everything. So that's why I'm like, yeah, you can go to the bathroom. You can hang around. We can just talk for like 20 minutes before we start this. Yes. Like, it's okay. I understand that uh, that th- that thing, that quality. Where I but I also acknowledge it's not a great trait. Like my partner yeah. is on time, yeah. and it is. I see how people respond to him and how people rely on him to do stuff, and yeah. I think that's nice. So <laughs> maybe one day that's nice for him. Yeah. <laughs> How do you, do you, do you work from home primarily? Yeah, I don't think, I mean, people ask that question. My, my life is never the same. Yeah. I think week to week, I'm going on the doctors tomorrow. Oh, and fun. Yeah. So then on the weekend, I'm doing this like women's empowerment um, video that's like us in our underwear and we're doing it like we're shooting it in public. And so oh, I think my weeks are always different. My favorite weeks yeah. are just from home. Are just from home. Yeah. I think I'm an ambivert and that means like I'm good at extroversion and mm-hmm. I understand extroversion and why it's necessary, but truly... I need a lot of align, alone time to recharge, to perform extroversion. Yeah, ambivert. I've never heard that phrase before. That's great. Yeah, because I get that too. I really consider myself an introvert, but people are like, but you're in you're the so public. Good. You're out talking to people all the time. I'm like, yeah, it makes me very tired. Like I could be at home for a very long period of time and people be like, are you okay? And I'd be like, I'm living my best yeah. life. <laughs> like I'm having a great time. Are you okay? Uh, but ambivert makes a lot of sense to me. Um how do you generate the ideas uh, for your videos? Does that come from like crowdsourcing of like conversations with the audience? Does it come from things that you stumble upon that you generally feel is necessary to talk about or a combination? I think I do what works. I do what people are asking for and I Mm -hmm. do what's interesting to me at the time. Yeah. Like I did a video on apology languages because like you, when I found that out, I was like, this could change everything. <laughs> so people need to know. People need to know about this. <laughs> and so you look for a unique and interesting way, again, kind of being the Mary Poppins that medicine mm-hmm. and sugar, like how do I make this fascinating to the audience? It mm-hmm. can't just be straightforward and clinical. And so I try to find as much life experience too I can apply to things because yeah. people are attracted to stories. Human interest deeply matters to people. I often say there's a lot of like not so great things about me on the internet, but everything you read about the internet that's not good, I told y'all. Like you didn't <laughs> yeah. find it out. I made a video about it. I told you. I'm not hiding anything. Yeah, because yes. it, it must be interesting that you get met with scrutiny because people don't understand or they look down or they get defensive or offensive by something that you say. Like, how do you maintain? Is it just a matter of like, I need to get ahead of it or I have to be my most authentic, transparent self? I feel like there's a balance that has to be struck because I acknowledge that I am trying to make a not so popular topic very popular. Mm -hmm. And it's a popular topic, but not to learn about. Yeah. It's a popular topic to gossip about, to complain about, um, to joke about, Mm -hmm. not necessarily to learn about. And so 
I also, again, my root is journalism. That's my first thing I went to school for. So I, I move stories. Yeah. And I acknowledge that, like, I there's this story on vabbing that is in my book. Yeah, so this is a big thing right now I've seen because people have kind of taken an excerpt from your book about vabbing, which I would love for you, in your words, explain what that is and kind of have twisted it almost yes. in a way. Yeah. But I also acknowledge that's why I put it in the book. Yeah. Because I know this is going to be something that's interesting, that's going to get shared. And the book has tons of not so fascinating and salacious and headline worthy information. Mm -hmm. But if that headline is what draws you to the book, so be it. Great. So because I acknowledge what it is that I'm doing, and again, I'm going back to that first seed I thought, sex education is not sexy. Yeah. It's not fun. It's not interesting. It's not newsworthy. It's not shareable. Mm -hmm. So I have to create content that is that. And sometimes that's at the sacrifice of my perspective in other people's eyes. And I'm yeah. okay with it. No, that's amazing to feel that comfortable with that because that can be very tough and very like just emotionally exhausting, I'm yeah. sure. The Can you explain for people what that is? is? Yes. Because it's a really cute phrase, um, but I think some people might have a visceral reaction to it or have already. I think the term vabbing was created by Carly Aquino. Okay. Aquino, you know what I'm talking about? No, I only She's, know it because you've tweeted this Okay. <laughs> well, I do want to give credit where credit is due because people will tag me into the post like, this is Carly's term. I'm like, I'm not. And on top of that, vabbing is not created by any per person in modern history. So right. it's the use of pheromones to draw people in. Okay. Um, and so essentially you would take a sample of your vaginal fluids mm -hmm. from your Bartholin gland. So you're not taking it from like the labia majora minora where, you know, uh, discharge collects. You're taking a fresh sample uh -huh. from the opening and you're applying it as you would apply perfume. Okay. So to your pressure points. So that would be like inside your elbow area, on your wrists, on your neck, at the back of your neck, wherever your body uh, absorbs and distributes heat because that creates the smell, mm -hmm. the, emits the smell. And so the purpose of doing this is so that your pheromones or your copulins might draw other people in and make them more attracted to you. Okay. Yeah. It has a grounding in science. And when you describe it, it's a very scientific approach to yes. this situation. <laughs> but I think people see it as like a ridiculous YouTube challenge type of video yeah, scenario. Which is kind of true because it really hasn't been scientifically proven. Mm -hmm. Also, too, because we live in a world with so many competing scents. Yeah. Like my hair is a dome of its own. So for anything <laughs> to supersede that scent is going to have to be really strong. Sure. And on top of that, too, we live in like even the same thing with crystals, right? Like, yes, a jade crystal does emit energy, but in a world where there's highways and cars mm -hmm. and like subways, there's so many vibrations. Yeah. The chances that that small rock is emitting enough to actually make a literal impact on you is slim. Yeah. I mean, placebo, though, that's the thing. Yeah. So I think that the vabbing is placebo. It's, did, did you have any results that were uh, that swayed in one way or the other of whether this is a, a valuable thing to do? This is the thing. I've kind of done it off and on for 10 years. Okay. Like if I remember, it's not a thing that it's like a daily thing. And sometimes I'll forget I did it because there's zero reaction from people. Mm. It's just nothing. I remember this one time I went out to a club. So it's best to use either in a club or in a date. You have okay. to be in very close proximity with people. And it should be at a place where like that's sort of the vibe. I wouldn't right. do it at a playground. Um, <laughs> yeah, the, the results <laughs> might not be desirable right, in yeah. that situation. <laughs> so I remember going to a club once and literally like, I think I had my hair up. I was like, not one of those days where I was like done up. And sure. every person was like, your soul is beautiful. <laughs> like the compliments were so specific and deep. Wow. And I was like, wow. And I told a friend of mine and she worked in promotions. Uh -huh. And so she was like outdoor working with a bunch of guys, like on some alcohol promotion. And she was like, it is crazy. They're flocking to me. She's like, I can't pick up a chair. I can't do any work without 
got them, you know, rushing over. Wow. But then again, like I said, I've had times I've had nothing. Yeah. Um, in the book, when we did it, we went to Soho House. Okay. And the girls in the group were like, I kind of noticed people were leaning in, but it's a loud club. Yeah. It's also a place where people, I think, are more specifically looking around and be like, who is who? Yes. What's going on? <laughs> so the it's, necks are just moving around yeah, anyways. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it is fascinating. Have you had stories that people tried it since reading your book? Yes. Uh, this girl said it got her some tater tots at a restaurant. <laughs> 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 That's all the scientific proof I need. I think it's actually one of the Amazon reviews that she wrote that that happened. That's uh, incredible. <laughs> yes. Wow. Guys. Free tots. Yeah. Free tots. Uh, um, what are your targeted ads like on your phone? Mm. Like, or what comes up mostly on your explore page? That's a very fascinating one. I can imagine the types of conversations you have near your phone must generate some bizarre or very specific ads. I wish I would, actually am not as cognizant of that. You know, the only one I did notice is that recently I went to BCBG and uh -huh. I bought a lot of stuff. I never searched online though, because I'm not an online clothes shopper. And yeah. then all of a sudden the BCBG ads were like all on my phone. And I was like, that's slightly uncomfortable. And just because you were in the store. But maybe I'm like, maybe I did search it. Maybe I searched it in my email. I, I couldn't recall. But um, no, I haven't gotten any really great ads Dang, now's the time. Now that we've talked about it, well, the ads all yours? of a sudden are like, we're sleeping. Mine, um, <laughs> I so I was like really sick the other week and I was like waking up with like night sweats and then literally like two days later, I was on a plane and got like a targeted ad for a Buffy comforter that's like, it says, tired of waking up sweaty. And I was like, <laughs> this is too targeted now. I do feel seen. I did buy the blanket. Yeah. <laughs> it did work. It's wonderful. And I love it very much now. But yeah, it's uh, it's like a, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Buffy the Vampire Slayer, but not associated at all. But this spelled the same way. Okay. Yeah, Buffy. I wish that they sponsored this podcast. That would have been a lot easier for me. Uh, but and it's great. Love it. Uh, but that was like, Oh, very weird and specific. Yeah, but it worked, which it is worked. even more frightening. I know. That's the thing is that I want to be scared of it and like mad at it. But then it's you're also like, quite convenient. Yeah, because then you're like, oh, what is this? These are nice clothes. Where is this from? Yeah, yeah it's ugh, it's it's a bummer. Um, did you have any uh, fictional sexual icons growing up? Fictional sexual icons. I would say Coldest Winter Ever, which is Winter Santiago. Okay. Terrible icon to have. Um, <laughs> but sure enough, that was one of them. There was a porn that I watched very frequently. Don't know the lady's name because <laughs> back then it was VHS porn because I'm born in 85. So yeah, me it was too. like, yeah, like this, this the cusp. Yeah. And my parents had this one VHS porn. Um, and this woman, her husband took her into a clinic to get fucked because she wasn't having pleasure in their marriage. Wow. It's actually a very progressive, you know, interesting thing. I was like, take. this is super progressive. And I feel like this really had an influence on where your life went. <laughs> and she went to different rooms to get treated by different people. And wow. like, it was girl on girl sometimes. And sometimes it was by a vibrator. So it was interesting. She was very influential to me. I don't know where you are in life, but. <laughs> She's a huge fan of the podcast, I yeah. hope. And is listening to this right now. And is like, that was me. I will die. When you inevitably start your podcast, she has to be your first guest. Yes. Like, Do you know who yours were? I don't. Someone asked this to me on a, a podcast the other day that was like, what cartoon character were you most attracted to growing up? Mm. And I was like, I've never thought about that before. And then they very easily had a bunch of answers. And so I was like, should I have been thinking about this? I don't know. Uh, like, I, who do we have? Pepe Le Pew? Like, who's a hot 
I don't know. I, Cause I never watched Disney. I was never like a Disney kid growing up. It was just like, nah, I wasn't interested in it. Um, and so I think my, like, I watch like Hey Arnold and stuff like that growing up, but I'm like, that feels, I don't think I was sexually attracted to anyone yeah. on that show, <laughs> but I'd have to go back and think about it. I don't know. But I'm fascinated that like what your thoughts were, if that was something that you were already kind of like thinking when you were younger. Yeah, I know I was very sexual um, when I was young. I remember my first sexual experience was age five. Oh, and wow. It was a vivid experience with me in a pillow uh-huh. and my friend in her pillow. <laughs> yeah. And it was a time. Then she went and tattled the next day and I got in trouble. And then oh. after that day, my Barbies were banned from being naked. So there was a, <laughs> wow. yeah. But I remember early on, I was actually called lewd a lot by my family. Like you're being very lewd. And oh, interesting. I was just very into physical touch and the human body. And I loved love and I loved affection. And oftentimes people ask me about that. Like, how did you find this career? Yeah. And I'm like, I think I just read discovered it. I feel like I naturally knew what was right and good for me. And my purpose Mm -hmm. wasn't about discovering it. It was going back to reclaim it. Interesting. That's really fascinating. Um, And also very cool that you um, like almost had this innate sense in yourself of like wanting to educate and discover things. Yeah. Right. This is instructional. I Shout out to Jalen. You're out there. (laughs) Also, if you don't have targeted pillow ads after this podcast, I'm going to be real upset with their algorithm. Okay, Um, okay, we're going to take one last break and then we have a bunch of Twitter questions for you. So we'll be right back with Not Too Deep. Today we have support from Native. Thank God, because they have truly been supporting my pits for they don't even know how long. Native creates safe, simple, effective products that people use every day. Their products are filled with trusted ingredients and their natural deodorant is no different. And that's what I'm talking to you guys about today. Native deodorant is formulated without aluminum, parabens, and talc. And it's with ingredients found in nature like coconut oil, shea butter, tapioca starch i mean i don't leave my house but i trust that that's in nature it comes in a wide variety of enticing scents for men and women plus they release new limited edition seasonal scents throughout the year they got coconut and vanilla lavender and rose cucumber and mint and eucalyptus and mint and you know i have been rocking this lavender and rose for a half a second and ooh. A girl that hates to bathe, no one would know. But now you know, because I'm telling you directly. Uh, And for those that are sensitive or have sensitivities, Native has an unscented formula uh, and a baking soda-free formula. So they got something for everyone. Making the switch to a natural deodorant doesn't mean you have to sacrifice an odor and wetness protection. And they are the proof. That's the reason that they have over 8,000 five-star reviews. There's also a no risk to try it. They offer free shipping and free returns and exchanges in the USA. And now you guys can get 20% off your first purchase. Visit nativedeodorant.com and use promo code GRACE during checkout. Guys, this this is my go-to every day. So please go to nativedeodorant.com, use promo code GRACE, get 20% off. It's... Oh, it's wonderful. Again, nativedeodorant.com, promo code GRACE, 20% off your first purchase. Let me know how great you feel. This is The Pits 
What? I don't know. Not, not too deep. We have support from BetterHelp this week, and they're here to support you. If there is something interfering with your happiness or preventing you from achieving your goals, they are here to offer help. They offer licensed professional counselors who are specialized in d- issues like depression, anxiety, relationships, trauma, anger, family conflicts, LGBTQ plus matters, grief, self-esteem, and more. You can connect with a professional counselor in a safe and private online environment and get help at your own time at your own pace everything you share is confidential and convenient you can schedule secure video or phone sessions as well as chat and text with your therapist and if for some reason you're not happy with your counselor which happens you can request a new one at any time for no additional charge and it's affordable. And on top of the affordability, you'll get 10% off your first month with the discount code GRACE. So why not try it out? Go to betterhelp.com slash GRACE. Fill out a questionnaire so that they can assess your needs and match you with a counselor that you love. That's betterhelp.com slash GRACE. Okay. Um, we're going to get to Twitter questions. Before we do, I'm going to ask you the two questions I ask every guest that's on the podcast. And the first is, who, alive or dead, would you most want to throw cold spaghetti at? Oh, uh, you know what? To be honest with you, there's not really anybody that I truly hate. I try to like— But it can be celebratory, too. Celebratory cold spaghetti. Just it's, maybe to get their attention. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to go with Grace Helbig. Oh, you know? thank yeah. you. Yeah. It's my favorite food. So well, you, truly only you it. would understand it. I would. And I would know that your intentions are good and pure. Yes. <laughs> so that's it. <laughs> I'll take it. Uh, okay. The other question is to tell us your worst pant shitting story or close call, but you can only use three words or like small phrases. So mine is college jogging front lawn. Florida pipes are too small. <laughs> Hey, I love that you had it locked and loaded and ready to go. <laughs> That's amazing. It's like my, my like classic, most embarrassing story to ever happen to me. So I'll, I'll never forget it, unfortunately. Oh, I love it. Oh, that's so good. Um, okay, let's get into these Twitter questions. I'm sure you've answered a lot of similar questions like this before because we got a lot of really like serious questions. And I think it's because there's such a lack of like education readily available that people are like, oh my God, someone that's like making this okay. I have so much to ask. But you're going to answer too, though. Yeah, okay. I'll, I'll answer too. Um, someone's asking, how do you feel about canceled culture nowadays? I think that, you ever watch that episode of Black Mirror? The one with the bees? No, I haven't seen the bees one. Oh, the bee, you have to watch the bees okay. one. It is the most relevant to social media. Yeah, I haven't seen it. I think that two years ago, I substituted, I hate that, I don't like that, why are you doing that mm-hmm. with, that's fascinating, tell me more. Yeah. And so I think that if we took more time to be tourists for each other versus tour guides, like a mm. tour guide, I know what you, it's right, I know what we're supposed to be doing, I know where mm-hmm. this goes. And a tourist is like, well, why did you put that there? Yeah. Well, why is that that way for you? So I think that cancel culture is an industry, right? It yeah. is people get famous off of it, they get big of it. So I understand it. It's like a form of entrepreneurialism. But I also think that it stops us from the ultimate goal, which is connecting, loving, understanding, and empathizing with each other. So I try my best not to participate. Yeah, no, I think I agree wholeheartedly with, with you on that because I think that it's a big like stamp of no to having a, a dialogue or a conversation that could help both or one party grow or see things differently or understand things differently. And also like we're, I don't think any of us are obviously born perfect or with like the full most updated constant understanding of like rules, regulations, words, and uh, different offensiveness out there. And so the 
biggest, most exciting thing to me is when people choose to educate with kindness rather than cancel with like regret or anger in some way. Um, and I think you do a really great job of being open to. Have you ever had like a cancel? Um... We had um, we had something on the podcast like a year or so ago where someone a guest had said something that was offensive. I in know the community. exactly what you're talking about. And it was, I went through the same thing with this. Yeah, and it was it was really difficult to to field a lot of anger from an audience who didn't give the entirety of that episode even a, a chance, like, because there was nothing related to that situation anywhere in the episode. I thought it was a really great dialogue to have with someone. Um, and so, but you also never want to dismiss, like, feelings of people that have been very supportive of you. And you don't want them to think that you uh, made a bad decision and that they can't believe or trust your instincts on, like, who you talk to and how you talk to people. So it's just, like, a very strange mix of emotions going on. Um but I'm sure you've dealt with so much shit in that regard. Oh, yeah. I get canceled pretty, like, semi-frank. Maybe, like, biannually. It's probably about right. <laughs> it seems like... And I, I learn from it every time. I become a better person and I grow and more people find out about me and more people are on the journey and more people say, I don't like what she's doing. Then they start to look into what they do like. So yeah. I, I just look at it like I am here to encourage conversations. Yeah. That's the only way you can. Otherwise, you just get exhausted yeah. over all of it. And then you live in a world of anxiety of not knowing what's safe to say ever for the rest of your life. So I think dialogue is better. Um, okay. This is best advice um, on serious online dating, um, do's and don'ts when you want to try to find something serious. Um, oh, okay. This person also says that they need help navigating their sexual relationship um, or finding one that's satisfying for both people. They don't want to be destined to a life of orgasmless sex. That's two questions or one? <laughs> Basically two in one tweet. I'm like, they really use that extra yes. like character count here. And that was me paraphrasing this tweet. Um, but best avenues for serious online dating. And we've got a couple questions about that, that a lot of apps, especially in um, the LGBTQ community too, uh, have like started moving more towards like hookup apps rather than like an opportunity to find something kind of more grounded, serious, meaningful, and how to navigate that. If that's not, if you don't want to just hook up, but you don't have other ways to meet people. Yeah, I would say that uh, uh, to me, online dating is a pro tool. It's not an entry point tool. Mm. So you have to really have worked on yourself, know what you're looking for, be mm -hmm. clear about what it is you want out of a connection. And then also when you're searching for something serious, what you're actually doing is searching to figure out what your serious perfectly looks like. Mm. And so I think of it less like I'm trying to meet my person versus I'm trying to get to know people who bring me closer to my ideal person. Mm. So I think with online dating, you have two choices. You can do the work before um, by getting my book and reading and researching yep. and having a clear strategy and a plan. <laughs> or, you know, you can do it after by just rolling the dice, going on random dates, wasting your time with somebody, but you're going to do the work regardless. Like mm -hmm. I have a pretty, I had a really strict online dating regimen. And through that, I met awesome people. I never met my person. Person, mm. But I met the person who styled my engagement shoot. I met the person oh. who I bought art off of. I met somebody who I gave a graphic design job to. I met awesome people yeah. that actually taught me a lot about what I truly want in a partnership. Mm -hmm. So stop with the goal orientation of I'm looking for something serious versus I'm looking to get to know really great people who could um, add value to my life. Yeah. And if you do that, I think you'll one, be more um, 
intentional in your messaging before, more intentional in your search, Mm -hmm. and then also less disappointed with the results. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I love the way you phrase that because I think if this person sounds like they're already going in with the expectations that they're not going to find what they want, but instead if they figure out, like you said, who brings value rather than who's the one, Yes, then your expectations can be broadened and wide open and Mm -hmm. there's less disappointment and you're less frustrated. Ugh. You got someone that styled your wedding? Yeah, my well, engagement shoot. Your engagement shoot. Yes, that's so great. <laughs> yeah. What? Worked at this company called LA Rocks. It was a beautiful, beautiful clothes. It was like a nice androgynous. It was a really cool shoot. So that's shout out awesome. to Ricky. Very cool. Good job, Ricky. Yes. <laughs> um, okay, let's see here. Oh, um, someone wants to know what's the weirdest question you get asked in your line of work. I also want to add on to that. Like, what's the one question you wish people asked you more? Mm. So we had this uh, course in school uh, for when I got my sexology certification. It mm-hmm. was called SAR. That's like sexual attitude reassessment. Okay. And in it, we had to watch like 40 hours of porn, basically. Really? And they showed us every kink. Not every, but because if you look at the list of kinks and fetishes, mm-hmm. it is like Extensive. Webster long. <laughs> um, and so they showed us a bunch of different kinks and they had people come in who talked who worked in the sex space or who were sex workers or we spoke to like a a phone sex actress who just Mm. educated us on what people are actually into and the goal of that so that if I'm out there in the world and you tell me what you like I'm not going to be like gross like so weird I'm like oh I think I've seen something similar Um, and when you watch some things like hard to me for me to watch was cutting as a fetish But when I watched the video, I was like, there's something really quite beautiful about that being, because there is some euphoria that you get. There's Mm -hmm. a rush of adrenaline you get when you do harm yourself. And like to some extent in a controlled environment, Mm -hmm. that's why we like oxygen deprivation. We like BDSM. And so it's not an abnormal part of life. It's just a sensation that people enjoy if they know how to control Mm -hmm. and they found a partner they can do that with. Oh my gosh, I'm so happy for you. Yeah. So it was like watching them. I'm like, look, good for them for finding each other. (laughs) You know, I think I just felt that versus like the shock of it. So I don't think I've gotten any like super crazy questions. The question I wished people asked more is like, what books should I read? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's less of like, people will write me these like 40 paragraphs. And I don't do DM counseling at all for this reason. Yeah. I just, you can't keep up with that. Yeah. I don't, I also think it's just not really responsible just to chuck your life story at somebody who doesn't know you, you don't have any rapport with, you don't know what my system is for fielding questions. And it's also too like disappointing for you because it's like shouting in a vacuum. But rather than writing me paragraphs of what happened, say, hey, I'm trying to get over a breakup. What book should I read? That's a lot easier than me trying to decipher your situation and write some, you Mm -hmm. know, prolific paragraph to a complete stranger. Yeah, no, I think that's great. And also because like you said, there are so many books, yours included out there that are- The Game of Desire. (laughs) (laughs) Everywhere (laughs) books are sold, right? Everywhere books are sold. Um, The, yeah, the giving them, because I think they're going to find more value in that book than like the- small amount of time you have to craft a very specific answer for them. Well, null and void of it being about sex and relationships, what's a question you wish people asked more of you? Of me? What's a question that I wish people asked more of me? Um, well, the question that I, I've always, like, that comes up all the time that used to be, like, something that I just didn't know how to answer was, like, what's it like to be a female in comedy, a female in entertainment? Um, and this was, like, even before, like, this big feminist resurgence and, and all of the wonderful things that are happening for women right now. But I had never just, like, put my, I wish thought I was a person in entertainment and, like, the stories and point of view that I have about comedy come from, obviously, my perspective, which is me growing up as a woman. Um, so I never knew how to answer it. I was like, I, I don't see myself that way. I mean, it's difficult to be in entertainment. Um, uh, and 
it's, I think at the time online when I was like starting to find my groove, there weren't a lot of women doing it. So the competition for like anything like that was even less. And the ability to support the whole like female community of entertainers was like so much easier to do because we were all in it together, figuring it out everything. Um, and so that's the question that always bothered me. Um, but never to a point that it like made my day bad or anything. I just like felt like I stumbled over how to answer that. And they, people asking seemed like they had some sort of answer in their brain that they were anticipating. So that was always like, I don't think I'm going to give you the answer that you want for Mm -hmm. this. Um, But I think I wish that people asked more. And I think we're starting to have more of a conversation about this, about like the burnout quality of continuously creating and generating content. Uh, I think there's been a lot of focus on the mental health side of creating content, which I love that conversation because I do think it's okay for people to take a break. And you see that there's been like this blueprint-ish thing figured out for people that want to get into the digital space or get into creating content wherever they can, that they have to continuously work every hour of every day, every minute, always be on their phones, always be figuring out how to like connect. And I think it ruins people's authenticity to have conversations with people or to like create things. It becomes this like very factory produced sort of thing. Um, And being able to take time off and like pivot and figure things out, I think is really important. So that's the, I think the conversation starter I wish people would ask more. Have you started to Beyonceify your hours? You know how they say everyone has the same 24 hours as Beyonce and how much of a goddamn lie that is because Beyonce (laughs) has 200 employees. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so Beyonce can be having a day to herself and a day off and that could be her most lucrative day of the year because her lawyers made some great deals. So for you, like, are, are there days where you don't have to do the grace that other people are doing the grace and so that guilt doesn't have to be there the, occasionally yeah I think that's a big thing is delegating and finding people that you can create a team around that are better at their job than you could ever be at their job uh, are better at doing something that you can do like very half-assly or very mediocrely um, and that's always been a struggle for me it's like creating a team of people or like outsourcing to people that can do better I'm always like I can do it on my own I'll do it I'll do it I mean it might not be that great but I'll get it done yes uh, and so yeah being able to rely and trust others to like help support your grandiose picture, I think is huge. Mm -hmm. And it can be so small, minimal too, of like what you're asking people to do. It doesn't have to be like, you have this giant entourage now of all these people. Uh, Because Beyonce didn't at one point. She had no one at some point. Uh, She had Disney's child always. But even before, well, yeah, I guess always, they were always in their living room and her dancing. parents, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it's just, not to take away from, she's a hard worker and she's a hustler and all the above, but I think that people put a lot of guilt on themselves to be productive 24-7 mm-hmm. with this notion that other people are. But I think that at a certain point, it's not just you and that should be widespread knowledge. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Put it in the next book. Right? Yes. <laughs> uh, but for now, buy this book. <laughs> yes. Oh, okay. So let's talk about shrimping. Yes. Someone wants to know, is shrimping really a thing? What is shrimping? So here's the thing. I think all things must be a thing. So I, from my interpretation of what I read based on Uh seeing this tweet, so I am learning all the time. I really want to emphasize that, that this is a continual space where my audience educates me constantly. Um, So what I learned based on Urban Dictionary, which is a very reliable source, is shrimping is when you ejaculate on someone's back or body part and then take a straw and drink it up. And drink it up, okay. But I've heard different like variants. But you can't use. I mean, with the in 2019, you better not. You better use a paper straw, right? <laughs> That's the real issue with shrimping. <laughs> but I'm, how uh, how do the two connect? 
I don't know. I also read that it was like to do with anal sex and it was the straw is the consistent that I did read. Okay. The straw, but where the semen goes for you to then shrimp it up. Okay. (laughs) That that is inconsistent, but I would love to hear from your viewers, maybe who have a better, more concrete explanation. Yeah. Is it a thing? I think all things are a thing. I think in this point in history, people have done every possible configuration of the things. Right. Maybe it goes by a different term, but yeah, let us know. Tweet at us if this is a thing, if you've um, if you have firsthand experience with it, I guess, uh, and how it got this name, yes. because that's that's always the most curious thing. What's to it? Me. It's an etymology. Is that the, the term for it? Of it? Oh, is that it? Something like that. Okay, <laughs> something like that. We don't discuss those things on this show. <laughs> um, someone wants to know. Oh, uh, how to talk about using sex toys in the bedroom? When is too soon or too late? There's no such thing as too soon or too late. Mm-hmm. I think that we are often waiting to have, like, wait, even the dialogue of where is this going? Right. People are like, is it too soon to have that? It's like, you wouldn't show up to a job being like, I don't know what my role is. I don't want to be too you know, forward <laughs> by asking. Like, you better mm-hmm. know if you're interning or you're supervising, et cetera. Yeah. You better know because the key to happiness is the key to happiness is managing expectations. Yeah. And so you have to be clear about what it is that the exchange is happening. When you go to Subway sandwiches, you're clear on the exchange. It's like yeah, seven dollars, like <laughs> and you're getting this tuna sandwich, right? right? If I'm, I'm paying fourteen, getting tuna, even the tuna's bomb, I'm gonna be like disappointed, yeah. right? So I think that if you get off using toys, and that's a very big part of your sexual pleasure, your arousal cycle, mm-hmm. it's never too soon to bring it up because this is what sexually engaging with you successfully looks like. Yeah. Um. So I would say in that case, it's just casual. I think too, we put all this like gravitas pressure on these like conversations. Yeah. Like again, sex ed should be sexy. Talking mm-hmm. about sex should be sexy. Yeah. It shouldn't be like, okay, so there's something I have to tell you. And yeah. <laughs> Please turn off your phone. Don't speak to your mom for 24 hours. Like, it's like, what are you about to say? You know? Yeah, exactly. It She's literally so just be. ominous. Or get the vibrator necklace, which is this really approachable, yeah. cute way. And it can be used on the taint. It can be used on the vulva. It can be used on the clitoris. Um, do not insert. It's not made for that because it heats up. But yeah. <laughs> nonetheless, like, you can bring in sort of entry-level toys, gauge mm-hmm. their reaction, and then have discussions about it. Yeah. I think, like you're saying, uh, uh Approach it how you would want to be approached with this conversation. Like, you don't want someone saying, like, you need to sit down. We need to have a talk. And it's going to feel uncomfortable. Like, yeah, you're like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, oh, my God, what's going on? Like, really, I think make it fun because this is ultimately supposed to be fun for both of you. Have you ever had a partner tell you that they're into something or want to do something that was like, oh, that's interesting. We have to have a discussion about it beforehand. Um, I don't think it's ever been anything that we've had like a full discussion about. I think there's been things that I'm like, oh, you're into that? Okay. We can try that and see, but it's not like a, let me figure out the psychology of why you're into this before we start talking about it. It's more of like, okay, that's manageable to me. Um, if it was something that obviously was like completely out of left field, then that would be something worth having a conversation. But it's always been like, I feel like I've I've been with partners that I respect very much and have a lot of respect for me. So it's never been like a very imbalanced form of like control or want or need or expectation sort of thing. Um, Knock on wood, thankfully. But uh, definitely like a, okay, you brought this up. This is a point of something. Okay, great. Let's do it. Thank you for just not just doing this and seeing what my reaction would be. Thank you for even mentioning this. And so that's, yeah, 
Never the full conversation, though. I think take advantage of the fact that the World Wide Web has provided an encyclopedia mm -hmm. of different ways people sexually engage, a la porn. So yeah. you've got a visual reference to show somebody to say, I saw this video, made me think of you. What do you think? Or yeah. my favorite thing is like, I had a dream. You know, I had a dream oh, last night that we were role playing and it was mm -hmm. really hot. And then just gauging the person's response and say, do you think we could do that? So yeah. just finding fun, approachable ways to begin the dialogue in a way that resembles what good sex is. Yeah. Consensual, fun, hot, cool. Sometimes a little embarrassing. Sometimes there's queefs, but you yeah. keep going and you get through it. it. <laughs> sex can be funny and that's okay too. The <laughs> other day, my partner, uh, we had like, uh, you know, doggy style sex. And then mm -hmm. he had, was giving me oral afterwards. And it's like the queefs you can't, if you're doing oh. doggy style. And it was like, I was like, I kept like it was hitting him in the forehead. <laughs> I was like, is this appropriate to bring up and ask afterwards? Like, did you feel a gust of air? Yeah. And uh, you know they do. I mean, God bless. Yeah. <laughs> it's impossible that they don't. So their ability to not bring it up on their end, maybe that's the politest thing to do. Who knows? Um, okay. What are you up to next? What's coming down the pipeline for you? I mean, I mean, book obviously still available. Yes. Everyone can go and should go get it. Is it available in audiobook? Yes. Oh, heck yeah. Uh, and I read that mother, mother. Hell yeah. So, I mean, next is just continuing the work that I do, finding mm -hmm. ways to collaborate with people to bring the conversation of sex education to the forefront. This is a really big deal for me, Grace, you know? Yeah what you do and how oh, approachable you are and how big your star is. And so to bring this conversation to this podcast, like thanks. I would probably say if somebody asked me like last week, I'm like, what's next? I'm like, I'm gonna be on Grace Helding's <laughs> podcast, man. That's what's next. Oh no, that's, that's so it. Sweet. That'll take me to Christmas. No, well, you have to now start your own podcast. And have you ever thought about like, I know you've done some book touring stuff, like a tour kind of thing. Like, yeah, girl. I mean, same as you like, have I literally thought about it? Because do I want to sit down and plan out and try <laughs> yeah. to find venues? It was like whenever people, it's always a joke to me. Someone's like, come to Chicago. And you're like, do you got somewhere for me to stay? Yeah, like, yeah, where yeah, am yeah. I speaking? Like, what's the deal? Can like, I can't just show itinerary? up. Yeah. yeah. And then I'll try to be there. Do you have Delta points? Like, yeah. how is this working? <laughs> yeah. Uh, Shan, before you go, every guest that's on the podcast gets a personalized fortune cookie for being here. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Did so you write the message inside? We have, um, we you know, it's, it's different. <laughs> oh, wow. This one is not uh, orthodoxly folded. No, they never are. Okay. So it's, it's this, this feels like shrimping. Yeah. I think this is closer to shrimping <laughs> yeah. than what Urban Dictionary says. <laughs> oh my gosh. This is audio and it's hard to get out. Okay. I did it. All right. Wow. This is a scroll. Yeah. All right. You were right. It wasn't Chanel. It was bacteria vaginosis. That was embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> you were right. No, I love that Is tweet. Is this a comment from somebody? No, that's a, a reflection on what you commented yes, to I that person. I thought that it was a confession from them. And I'm like, that's I sexual health <laughs> in action. <laughs> no, because someone responded to your vabbing that's situation funny. and was like, that's gross. And the classic like but trolling. It's tuna stank. And yes, yeah. she's like, like, that's disgusting. I'd rather wear Chanel. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you perfectly responded uh, with what is the most helpful thing of all time, telling them what might actually be problematic with their own vagina and that they should go seek medical attention. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's wonderful. Um, okay, Sham, where can people find you online if they don't know? Where can they get the book, et cetera? 
The book is available everywhere books are sold. It's called The Game of Desire. Mm-hmm. I'm going to stop there because you get one wish with people. I've learned that, <laughs> and that's my wish. That's there we it. go. <laughs> but follow her. Read the book. She's got nothing but amazing information. Um, thank you so much for is being here. Is it okay here. if I eat this? Of course you can. Okay, I wasn't yeah. sure if it's like very old. Or- no, it's it's edible. That's as far as we know. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. All right, we'll see you guys next time on Not Too Deep. Goodbye. Too deep. Too deep. Too deep. Not too deep. Not too deep. Grace Helbig. Whatever struggles you are currently facing, depression, anxiety, trauma, grief, BetterHelp can connect you with a professional counselor in a safe and private online environment. It is so convenient that you can schedule secure video and phone sessions as well as chat and text with your therapist and anything you share is completely confidential. And best of all, it's affordable and you will get 10% off your first month with the discount code GRACE. So why not get started? Go to betterhelp.com slash grace, fill out a questionnaire and get matched with a counselor that you'll love today. Not Too Deep is a production of Grace Helbig Incorporated, producer Melissa D. Montz, writing by Diane Kang, production assistance by Katrina Henning, post-production sound by Chris Henry, and an extra special thanks to Flula for the theme music. (laughs) 